Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We turn 50 episodes old today. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. To celebrate our milestone, we are honored to have with us a very special guest, the Admiral of the Pitcherless Fleet and creator of the list, Mr. Nick Pollock. On this episode, we talk about the Dugout Study Hall origin story, Nick's approach to hitters, his favorite pitching stats, how to evaluate pitchers on the move, and so much more. But before we get to all of that, Nick, welcome. What is happening? Oh, I, this is so much fun to be able to jump on these podcasts with you guys. And you're on episode 50 now. Yeah, that is amazing. You should be so proud of that. Uh, and I'm excited because if you bring me on a podcast, that means I just get to talk about pitching for a long time. And that's my favorite thing yeah. to do. We're so not going to so ask you about me. hitting at all. I no. have no plans whatsoever so to, great. to put you on the spot to talk about hitters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alexander, what's going? What's keeping you busy these days? Mostly thinking about hitters. <laughs> uh, not not a, not terribly a lot. Um, like I feel like I spent a whole lot of time recently trying to figure out what's going on in the not major league baseball world. Uh, I've never really been a person who cares all about that much about prospects, but like I uh, joined the the prospects live Patreon and I've been reading a lot of their content and just like oh, anything else I can consume. So a lot of that stuff mostly. It's fantastic. So, Nick, we are 50, like you said. We had to bring you on. We haven't had you on yet. And uh, you made a point of of making sure we knew that at our PitchCon presentation. (laughs) And so there was no better way to fix two wrongs at the same time than to bring you on for, for Dugout Study Hall turning 50. And as a celebration, what I would like to know, I don't know if Alexander cares about this at all, but I'm going to ask anyway is the origin story of our own podcast uh, because we were paired separate from each other mm. and put together in this mm. uh, harmonious partnership. And I have never heard that story. So you're going to have to give us the skinny on the origin story of Dugout Study Hall. Oh, man. Um, well, there isn't much to it. I, Trevor Huth and I decided everybody that wanted to you know jump into podcasts that there are a lot of people. It's really a blessing in that way that we have so many staffers that were interested in it. We set a high bar of saying, all right, you have to sound this way. You have to record a sample. And we just kind of threw people together randomly. And um, to us, in many, you know, there are many qualities that make a good podcast. But at its heart, you have to have the, the host and then you have to have the color, right? And um, we felt that, Matt, you were an amazing host. And you even said inside of your thing, like, I do not want to be the guy for answers. <laughs> I did. I was it's uh, like, you, and, you're barking up the wrong tree if you want me to, to say really, really super smart things about baseball. Exactly. <laughs> and who is smarter than Alexander Chase to pair you with? And we felt this would be this perfect match. Um, and you even I think both of you even said, like, uh, Chase, you were saying, oh, I want to talk about like interest intricacies of stats and really teach people about and really go into all of that stuff. Well, Matt, you were like. I, I don't know stuff. So I want to like be paired with someone that knows a lot of stuff and like they can teach me. I was like, oh, well, all right, let's go and do that. And uh, <laughs> we shoved you two together um, and we both really liked your samples. And uh, voila, Dugout Study Hall was born and we're all so much better for it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know about that last part, but we were definitely born <laughs> for sure. Hey, Alexander, do you remember how long it took for us to come up with the name? 
it felt like it was, forever, right? It it was like a couple weeks of like yeah. DM each other like not even that good of suggestions for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. How about this? No, no. How about that? No. No, no. So I, anyway, it's really hard to come up with a good name. I mean, Fast and I are launching our next one called the Nick and Alex Baseball Show because we couldn't think of a better name. So, well, so not I get only it. that, but when you think of one, then you type it in. Somebody else has oh, yeah, been right. clever too, right? <laughs> you, you don't want to be like 2.0. Uh, exactly. So it, it is. It's hard. Now, I have a question for you guys. You changed your logo. Hmm. How did that come to be? Uh, I think that was me deciding that I was sick of the old one and doing it and then being like, hey, are you cool with this? And uh, which font do you want? And Alexander being like, yeah, that that works. That's fine. I like this one. All I, right. I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. It was not much more complicated than that. <laughs> well, well, there you go. I mean, it looks great. I dug the old one, too. I thought that was a good one as well. It worked. It was fine. I didn't hate Both it. Good. I, I, change can be good sometimes. Yeah. I totally get that. But what are we learning about today, guys? Well, before we jump into like the crux of what we're going to talk about, which is obviously picking your brain about pitching because we would be fools not to do that. Um, What I want to know before we do any of this is how the pitching guru prepping for all of these drafts that you're doing. Do not call me the pitching guru. Oh, no. (laughs) You're afraid it's going to catch on? Well, it's just like the guru. guru. I I just I just feel like... um, I don't know. There's this understanding of, yes, come to me. Give me your questions. I'll give you enlightenment kind of idea. And I'm like, I don't know. Fair we don't enough. know this yeah. stuff. Uh, I won't tell you the oracle then. Uh, <laughs> what I want to know, though, is obviously in all seriousness, pitching is is what you primarily focus your energy on. Um, and you know a lot of stuff about a lot of pitchers really deep into the pitching pool. But you're in drafts, you're in industry drafts, you're in expert leagues, and you can't just draft pitchers. As we found out when I tried to tweet out my article and everybody got confused thinking that you were suggesting that you shouldn't draft a pitcher in the first 15 rounds. Oh, so. yeah. I thought that was a great article, and I, didn't, I wasn't confused at all. I thought that was a really cool piece that you did. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't bring it up for that, but I appreciate it. Um, I want to know how you prep for the hitters since you spend so much of your your time and energy on pitching what is it that you look for when you prep for hitters yeah i just listen to other people um that's what i do now i i mean for the most part i i'm trying to think about my process right now i've already established it i'm like what i do is i, I make my decisions and then i just kind of lean on those and then don't think about it again but um <laughs> for me it's dependability i generally won't chase the new thing um, a lot because I, I think hitters are I mean it's like this with pitchers at least I understand what made them that way mm-hmm. um, a lot more and the variability a lot of especially guys with like higher strikeout rates or something like that like is that are they going to still perform in the same fashion um, I obviously using hard contact percentage is a good thing um, and using and by the way Alex I don't know if you know but it is hard contact percentage on the player pages now it is not I, HH over PA. I'm, this was I'm a so, request from you. I'm so touched. That I've had. <laughs> it is live on the site. Um, uh, I should note, I've definitely had uh, more than a few um, people that like I play with in leagues who like 
now are like snapping up all of the guys that I like as a result of this. <laughs> and it's like already starting to backfire. I'm sure wow. you're familiar with how this works. No, I am not because all my friends, but like, I've known you since like fifth grade, man. Like you're just <laughs> Nick, you know, and they don't respect it at all. And which is great. Cause then I win the league. Uh, but no, with hitters there are obviously a lot of different ways to go. Um, at the end of the day, it's more about dependability and not trying to do too much. Because of how I draft, it's more about just, yeah, I am just have a good offense. I don't need to necessarily hit all the extra things because I'm already overpaying for hitters in the first place. And then I, I make up my ground in pitching and season and everything. That's just my spread and butter um, that has worked for a while. Um, so it's nothing exciting, honestly. It's just like, <laughs> is this dependable? I mean, I at times I will obviously go into swing approach changes. Like, are they reducing their O swing? Are they swing more in the zone are they pulling more are they you know obviously uh walk rates and strikeout rates are always great all those little things of course help massively then what is the batted ball profile like actual you know barrel percentage per plate appearance all that fun stuff always over plate appearance always but there is there is use in understanding it on the batted ball level just to, if you've separated the two already um but i but yeah i mean that's generally my approach with it um i find myself doing everything I can to avoid finding an infielder in season, especially a second base or shortstop. So I will make sure that outfielders are more open. I find it easier to find a random outfielder because there's just more of them. And you just go, okay, I'll take a chance on this guy. And it works out a lot. You know, I'm not going to mm. act like I know everything about hitting in season. Um, I'll probably just, you know, read everything that Chase puts out. That's about it. <laughs> uh, so, so that that's really my hitting approach. I have to do it too, like everybody else. Uh, I certainly downplay it. I spend my time, you know, doing it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just kind of overpay for it and and live with that. <laughs> Alexander, what's your what's your thoughts on all of this on on the process and all that? Um, obviously, I have to give it a seal of approval. Um, <laughs> kidding. Uh. One of the things that reminds me of is uh, you ever heard the bit about like tiny town with like two uh, two barber shops? Um, you know, like you want to go, go trust the guy oh, yeah. with the bad haircut rather than the guy right. with the good haircut. Whenever you know, it's like you, know, you, you can't cut your own hair to a degree, and so you, you got to go find whoever else you can trust. And uh, I, I tend to find the people who uh, who just focus on what they can do um, and leave other things to other people. Uh, are often people who just kind of like and one get to do a lot more of the weird niche fun stuff that I'm most excited about. Oh yeah. And uh, two, like as a result, often end up having a, a different approach to how they want to take in other people's information because like, I don't know, like I'm not going to try to step on your toes to figure out who has a good cutter or anything like that. Uh, it's just, or like who has repeatable mechanics or anything like that. Cause like, that's just not what I care about being right about ever uh sure, someone yeah. else has already done that better than me for sure um I, so i always appreciate people who have found their niche and then can just like go after other people's stuff and say hey i like this thing for x reason that's not trying to pat myself on the back here or anything like that but like you know i find that there's a lot of other people i follow who that's their way of doing things and uh so yeah yeah i, I will say I think well the joke about pitcher list is that I write about starting pitchers and I hired 175 staffers to write about everything else. <laughs> right. So if I can't find, you know, my, my hitters through that, those staff members, then what am I doing? 
Sounds like you can't <laughs> find uh, writers who can uh, write about hitting either if you have to draft 175 of them. <laughs> oh, no. All right, guys. It's been a fun Touché. run. Um, yeah, yeah, right. It's all over. <laughs> Um, all right, let's move into our numbers of the week segment and get into your bread and butter there, Nick. And that is pitching. When you are doing your deep dives, when you're looking uh, at what separates a pitcher, whether it's it's somebody who you're you're thinking might be the fifth starter, or whether it's who do I want to take in early in drafts, who do I want to be my my SP one? What stats are the stats that are your favorite? What are your go-to numbers? What numbers matter? What numbers tend to be kind of noise and in, in, in the background? Talk to us a little bit about the stats that really speak to you when you're doing these things, or is it is it different for every pitcher? Yeah. So I uh, the fun thing about what I do is I'm really lucky that I have a certain method that isn't often utilized the same way. I mean, there are some people that certainly do this. I mean, I learned it from Eno, essentially. Um, but it's just, I don't I don't often look at the high level numbers. I like, I can't, I only in like the off season can I honestly like quote the number of like, what his ERA is, is what, what his whip is. Like, you'll hear me do the list in season and I'll rank a guy something that, and I see in the Twitch chat, dude, he has like a 405 ERA. He's like, oh, he does? Like, I don't care, you know? <laughs> and I'm not even really that aware of it. I'm more aware of what is he throwing? How effective are those pitches? So the first thing I do, I mean, really, the first thing I do is I look at every single club and I see who has the opportunities and who could actually be earning them. So that's the first step, regardless of how good you are or not. If you are the sixth guy in a, in a rotation, uh, maybe I'm going to just find out what you're like and maybe just see if you, you know, will get those opportunities and how you'll succeed in that. Then the next step is just, all right, what do you throw? And after eight years, finally, I've created a site to help me answer those questions easier <laughs> than ever. Right. Um, so you can just go into the repertoire section. And the main things that I find myself looking at are strike percentage, um, swing strike percentage, uh, hard contact percentage. Um, that those are the ones that I'm chasing the most at the moment. The other numbers, I mean, there are so many we offer here are really nice at telling the story, making you understand how this is used. And you can even make assumptions being like, oh, this pitch must have a lot of sync on it because you're seeing few fly balls on it. You're seeing high ground ball rates or whatever. Or maybe he's throwing it low and then you can look at an approach and see high location versus low location. By the way, those are the two that matter most to me uh, when it comes to the approach tab. It's not arm side location, glove side location, no, no, no. High lock versus low lock. Um, they can really understand their plan of attack and is this working, is it not? All of that stuff. But once you understand strike percentage and really get a good grasp of what you're looking for, and fortunately we have the MLB averages on every table, so you can quickly grasp it. Um, then you can see, oh, he needs to throw more fastballs because the slider has a 51% strike rate. That's my Sunny Gray isn't able to throw more sliders because, you know, I was talking to Casey C. Bubba about this. It was a really good back and forth kind of talking about Sonny Gray. And we both dove in together and we both found like, Oh, right. 51% slider uh, strike rate on the slider, which is bad. That means that he can't consistently <laughs> just throw it because uh, he doesn't know if he's going to get a strike on this. I mean, if he knows it's a good count, like sure. If I get a ball, fine, there's a time and place for it. Um, and right. it limits hard contact a ton, but it's not a consistent pitch. It's not one of those in his repertoire that he can always rely on. Yeah, it's so, a coin flip, basically, right? right. So in, in many ways, yeah. CSW helps with this for us. But you also see, like, 
a high called strike rate on a curveball. And it's only a 55% strike rate. And generally, by the way, um, low 60s to mid 60s, so like 63% is kind of like the average for this stuff. And if you see like 65% or 67, like, yeah, all right, this pitch is dependable. And you see like 57, you're like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> so you might have a high CSW on that pitch, but it's because he gets a lot of called strikes. And it's actually not something he just needs to throw more of. It's like, no, this is kind of hard mm-hmm. for him to get them. But when it does, it works out really well. He's able to accept the ball that happens after, right? And thinking about it that way, um, those are the ones I go after. And then lastly, I mentioned swing strike rate and hard contact. Hard contact, like, is he getting destroyed by this or not? Like, right. that's pretty simple. Like, when he throws it, is it getting crushed? Um, and, like, Wasker Noah's fastball is a 40% hard contact rate. You got to fix that, Wasker Noah. Um, <laughs> but swing strike rate on the other side of it is, okay, is this what he uses to get his strikeouts? For the most part, sometimes it's a called strike, oh, two strike approach. You can actually even see inside of approach if he throws in two strikes and if he has a high called strike rate and a high two strike rate, like, oh, I get it. It's kind of fun. Um, but uh, but yeah, generally swing strike also outlines potential to me. If he throws, if he gets like a 20% swing strike on something, like, oh man, it's only a 10% usage. Maybe that can go up. He still has a respectable 61% strike rate on it. Like those are the kind of things that can sway one way or another. Um, and give this idea of more to come or is he capped out as he was so that that's generally my process and there's a lot more to it you know these numbers tell a huge story but if i'm just quickly trying to grasp stuff grasp what he's doing gotta see what he's throwing and those major three um are super super helpful which are the ones that are uh, readily available that maybe don't tell the story or at least not the story you're trying to find that maybe you see people using a lot. Uh, BABIP. Um, BABIP is very much dependent on how good you are or not. <laughs> uh, and yes, there are a lot of times that you have a high BABIP, you go to a better team, and you're not going to have that bad of a defense. And you just got really unlucky one year. Absolutely. But I find myself not really touching it uh, unless it's super egregious. Like last year's Eduardo Rodriguez is like 270. Sorry, 370 or something. Or you see, so I think it's John Means as like a 240 or something like that. Like, okay, like those should probably be close to each other. But I still expect Erod to have a much higher BABIP than I do John Means. Um, ground ball pitcher versus right, fly right, ball right. pitcher will do that innately. But I, those, yeah, I don't talk about FIP because honestly, FIP is just a derivative of strikeouts and walks and home runs. So if you just know those, then FIP doesn't really do much. I mean, I... You really will hear me talk about ERA and whip. Like, I, I care more about hit per nine or hard contact and walk rate themselves, you know? Uh, so that's that's kind of how I work. You know, it, it's funny kind of like listening to a lot of different people talk about pitchers because like, I want to know where the market is. It's kind of like one of the reasons I sure, yeah. end up listening to podcasts. Uh, like the difference between how I think whip gets mentioned and ERA gets mentioned is, is a it's really insane. fascinating thing to me. It's crap. Um, it's crazy. Like no one cares about whip. It's the same but, value as ERA. But it's not just that though. Also, it's like, I feel like um, people will never use whip to mention that a guy is bad, but mm. I often will hear. And I think this is a, a, I don't know that it actually does mean it's guy is bad though. Do you know, like this is a really weird tangent, but like whip is basically like, on base percentage divided by not on base percentage. Um, so it kind of curves as it goes up, which is a really weird thing. 
Um, it's really oh, slight. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I know yeah. it's compounding is what you're saying for the most part. Right, yeah. right, right. The difference between um, a one and a one oh five is uh, not the same distance as uh, a one two and a one two five. But you know, it's like I've listened to you and I've listened to other people talk about how like only a couple pitchers will ever be like a whip risk guy. And it's like Luis Castillo, and then the list basically stops after that, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> well, Marcus but, Stroman and Framber Valdez are sure, ones that come sure. to mind too. Um, and you know, those top line stats tell an interesting story, and I, I think a lot of the better time that they get like used though is more like I think that this combination of things get a, gets us to this place. And whenever you end up with, yeah, but so and so had this last year. Um, I often find that's a really fun starting point for like, how did that happen? Um, right. More than, so than anything else. And I think, I think there's a lot of interesting kind of like, we can have that next conversation when someone has like a really outlier and weird FIP actually, when you bring those up. So it's like a lot of the things people cite a lot. I'll see someone put it on Twitter and, and more than it, more than it being like a declaration of so-and-so is good or bad. I take that to read as I'm curious. This is weird because um, mm. no one ever posted someone that's like oh yeah he had a 375 era like that's just like <laughs> that's never going that's to be a piece maybe of content Evaldi, by the way up. i'm pretty sure do that or a 37 <laughs> and i hate that i don't remember right now sorry well I, that i think might be the most impressive thing i actually am kicking myself a little bit that we didn't start off by playing a game where i just throw out some random pitcher from a team and have <laughs> you tell me like well, all the details of his splitter it's amazing how well, much say, you have in your head. There are there I, I like by now there are the talking points for every guy. Like enough even in my own head I've thought about these guys enough that it's just been reinforced. But Eovaldi one of my talking points is like Eovaldi apparently was just so amazing last year yet it was still a very pedestrian ERA like 37375. Um and to me I don't think he gets better and I don't really see how he really does does much more than that you know obviously it could be like a two the three six or something like fine but uh it's not going to be demonstrably incredible and i'm like i'm not ready to settle for that there's a chance it goes way farther over so that's just why i know that one i'm like aha you have all the 375 guy <laughs> that's it yeah but you could do it for like the, the two guys battling for the fifth spot on x team you know you can. <laughs> oh, i love x team x team yeah, is so yeah, underrated X-team's the best um <laughs> It, it just, it really is. It's fascinating. It, dive a little bit before we, we kind of move into our next segment into the new player pages and not as like an infomercial for them, but <laughs> really because um, I, I'm just being flat out honest as I've learned a lot about the, this sort of analysis by working with, with Alexander, it, it, your formula worked, Nick, putting us together. I did learn a lot. Yes. Um, and I'm starting you, to go by the through way, good one. and all for you, not Chase, <laughs> just you. <laughs> well, he's the one who brought the knowledge. I, I just brought the questions. Um, is that as I'm now trying to do my own writing, referencing these these new player pages really is incredibly helpful in the way that everything is organized and one of the things that i think is super helpful is as you said how you can click on each individual pitch and see those statistics so talk just a little bit about the design and the the um purpose and function of those it doesn't need it could be the elevator pitch version i i just think that it's important for people to hear it as much as possible because the as soon as people go and use these things, I think they're going to be hooked. 
I hope so. Uh, that, that's the idea. And by the way, it was a 375, and I'm very proud of myself right now. And that's how I'm going to go to bed tonight. I'm like, I got the ear, all the ear, right, right. I got it. Um, I mean, really, for me, y'all know granular pitch data to me is tells the story, as I've been saying. And I, the major thing that you should be able to take away with this is understanding how a pitcher does his thing. Because honestly, it's the beauty of baseball. Every pitcher is given the same task, throw this ball into this imaginary box. Yet every single one has a different way of doing it. And it's beautiful to me. And I, with these player pages, you have a ton of data. You have StatCast data. You have all the cool things you want with tooltips for every single one of them. Um, you have things just, I don't know, location data. You have StatCast data. You have the CSW and uh, Homer five ball rate on everything and the Wobas and hard contact and spin and movement. And it can be very overwhelming, and I'm sure it is for so many of you. And just you can use the MLB average just tool uh, that's just in the top right of every single table to understand, based on this pitch, what is the average O-swing on a sinker, and it's 25%. So when I freak out about the 47% of Zach Wheeler's sinker O-swing, you understand why, because that's insane. Right. That is so good. That context being right there is, is so helpful. It it's, just is. It gives you an idea of how how far away from the league average things are. Uh, right. It's huge. Uh, yeah. It, it, it does a lot for me. I mean, I've learned a lot. I was like, oh, yeah, strike percentage. I want to know more about that. And I understand that normally sinkers have a 65% strike rate, but Chris Bassett's now has a 71.5. And guess what? He actually has below average hard contact on that sinker. So that's really good. He gets more strikes to them and he is getting burned by them. Yeah. You know, you can innately come up with those narratives and understand the approaches. If you just kind of think of, you know, if you say it out loud, even all these things that he's doing better than league average and what's worse than league average, you can grasp what is good and what is bad without us saying like, this is a five-star pitch, which I kind of want to do eventually. <laughs> I think that's just such a cool idea is you can just put a star of like one to five for every pitch and be like, Hey guys, this is a four and a half star pitch. According to us, you know, based on all this stuff. Um, but, uh, but that aside, um, there, there's just so much. And there's also the game log for in season. Um, yeah. we are working on rolling charts right now. Uh, we have the design made and stuff. There's just a lot of things we want to get right first, but that is going to be this, uh, you know, through this year. Um, and you can look at the game log, you see pitch mix changes with velocity changes as well. You can see, um, individual pitch metrics game by game now. Um, and can really dive into all that stuff and get more nuanced understanding of the flow of the season. So just mess around with it. And if you have any questions, just reach out to us on, at PitcherList, of course, on Twitter. Um, reach out inside the Discord, whatever, because we want to share this. We want this to be your tool. We want this to be the thing that allows you to make your own nuanced decisions. You know, I I try, but I am far from Nostradamus here. And uh, I mean, was he even real, though? Was he actually like that? I don't know. I don't probably know. not like Shakespeare, but, uh, which is a bunch of different. So maybe I'm very similar to him. No, um, <laughs> but no, the whole point of these is to allow everybody else to find these things and have these discussions and have conversations about pitchers that is different than you normally have them. Well, I think that's the part that I love the most is it, what we've been trying to do with this podcast is build capacity in people. Um, and I think that these player pages give a lot of levels of access so you can go to it. And if you're, if you don't want to do all the heavy lifting, you don't have to, and there's a, still a ton of useful information. And if you want to dig as deeply as you possibly can, you can do that too. 
so and and it's just it, the graphic interface. I don't know. It sounds like I'm I'm shilling it, for you. It but took a it while. Really... It, that took us three months or, of design, if you can believe it. Um, working. No, with I some totally great believe it. Um, yeah. Huge props to Quincy Dong, uh, for for nailing it uh, with me and de- dealing with me in the process too. <laughs> um, but no, Jimmy Barrett Nick, helped a lot. Notorious diva. uh greg tebow um and uh mike brooks as well helped out with the design and initially from riley shunover too but uh but yeah quincy dong and i really nailing this at the end of the last summer and i was just so excited i I couldn't tell anybody oh man it's it's really fun alexander what are your uh what are your thoughts here before we we uh, move on to our next segment so you know in lieu of like you know actually listening to you guys for the last 25 minutes all i've been doing is uh, just scrolling up and down freddie peralta's player page because he's the first person who came to mind and i wanted to look at his player page yeah because he's and, what number one in hard contact that's not but yeah probably is why it came to mind uh, no so actually one of the things like if we can go off on a weird tangent is like so I, i've been listening to you and uh and and fast talk about a lot of guys who are kind of like farther down the list throughout the couple different like different like you know 10 at a time on the corners and uh i've been trying to wrap my head around how i think i would most want to talk about hard contact if we're just talking about a particular pitch so i was like okay let's go to a guy that i've thought about and like i ended up not even looking into that one thing because like you know i had this one up just so i could have one to like go for earlier and it's like you know like for example, oh, for Peralta, yeah. I'm like looking at you t- brought up their approach. You're like, oh yeah, the high location versus low location. His high location went from 49% last year to 31, pardon me, 49% in 2020 to 31% in 2021. You want to know why? Because he doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a two month sample of 2020, right? <laughs> Freddie Peralta is nicknamed Professor Chaos for a reason. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but it's like so far, like he had been 47% in 2019, 40, 38 in 2018, and then 31. I have no idea what high is for this, by the way. This is one where there isn't an MLB average, and I don't know that it would be helpful for some oh, of these. Oh, really? There isn't? There should be for uh, for this. Oh, you know what? Um, I just going to click it. Yep, there yeah. we go. Yep, there we go. I got it. So, so the high location average for Major League Baseball is 39%. So he was at or above that for his first three years in the bigs and then like substantially below that. Uh, and that's really weird. And I'm really curious oh, as to like how that just happened all the time. To- you're all even teaching me here because, right, you're using the approach table at the very bottom, which I, I right. don't even touch that much because that's across everything he throws. But I think, you know, if you're doing the Blake Snell blueprint, right, then if you're doing like fastballs up and breakers down, then it's split between the two um and maybe and like he just has something right? yeah love, changes let's say you throw 30 percent fastballs and 70 percent secondary stuff theoretically you only have a 30 percent high lock but then you have like a 90 percent uh four seam high lock right well his his four seam high lock is uh 31 yeah, percent it fell down i uh, yeah i'm seeing this now oh man it's like normal high lock but yeah it went down like 20 points from 2020 so that's a so that's interesting sorry, yeah, I'm, tangent. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're live learning uh, that's, that's uh, what we do here what yeah. would what do you think would be the explanation is that is that representative of a decision or is that just within the the range of outcomes for somebody who throws the way that peralta throws yeah I, that's a very very good question um it, i mean it seems like okay so you think oh he threw a lot more lower or more often lower and honestly no 
it, it looks to me as if the normal high pitches just went to Y lock, which is uh, YM lock, which is just vertical middle, um, which is essentially things like belt high or something, which is mm -hmm. not what you want. You never want yeah. any of the M locks. So YM lock or XM lock. No, that's the that's the <laughs> stuff you don't want. It's the wheelhouse. And that went up for Peralta last year to 33% from 22. So that stole a lot of the high lock away. And then there were some that were lower. But like you look at the strike zone plot itself on the right. And it looks like he's still trying to go up. He's just honestly sitting middle a ton. But his fast, I, I, I would take that from Peralta because it's just so stupid hard to hit. Yeah. And that's okay. 20% hard contact rate for on that four seamer is So wonderful. he's living there and getting away with it. Right. It's... His zone rate went up. That's probably the big thing. He's not trying to nibble as much. He's just chucking it. Yeah. 52% zone rate from 38.5. The Robbie Ray model. Yes. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine yeah. when you have great stuff like Peralta does. I right. mean, he still, even right. despite that, had a near 10% walk rate. Why? Because the slider in all of its glory still had a low strike rate at 61%. Not that great for your secondary. You want 65 or so. Um, so that that's the issue with, with Peralta. And why I'm actually kind of out, despite the high... The, the amazing hard contact first in the majors among starters at 17.1%. I think he's going to regress a lot because of the walk rate. And because he doesn't know things where things are going, it's just going to get kind of worse. I think he capped out uh, last year. I, I want to say, if I got to bring anything else out of this, it's just that I really like it when the thing that I expect to show up in a certain place, it shows up in that place and uh, yeah. I don't have to know <laughs> where to find it by scrolling, but right. like, I can just remember that something is a batted ball stat and it shows up on the batted ball stat line or things like that. And the organization and like user friendliness of this Aww, is I think thanks, the most man. important thing. Uh, I because, purposely repeated yeah. stats because I figured like you want to see it in Statcast, but you also want to see it in batted ball. And I was like, all right, well, let's just double yeah. it. Who mm -hmm. cares? Yeah, well, right. Absolutely. Because then you're looking in, in a different spot. You don't have to scroll up to compare the two. Th right. I, the design is really, really intuitive and, and well thought out. Oh, man. Um, you guys not that I best. want to cut off the conversation where we, we wax uh, ecstatic about these player pages <laughs> as they deserve to be. Um but we are going to move into uh, some more pitching conversation, uh, yes. picking more of Nick Pollock's brain. But before we get to that, we are going to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we are back. So, Nick, it is uh, signing season. Baseball's back, first yes! of all. Let's have a, a moment to celebrate that, right? We have opening day, April 7th, not May 1st, not June 15th, 
right? Oh Not God. all, whatever the other possibilities were, we, we know when it's coming back, we can be excited. And there's been no shortage of activity and movement, whether it's trades or it is uh, signings. And, and so what I, I wanted to kind of talk about here was when pitchers move and there's a, a change of scenery, the, the, the kind of question we're trying to answer here is, is how do those changes either benefit or hurt pitchers uh, in, in those situations? What is it that you're looking for, for somebody who like just moved to a different place and, and maybe not even so much from like the fantasy angle, but um, the institutional angle. So mm. let's, let's, we could just start with, we've got a list of questions here and, and I'll just kind of start at the very top. Like what are some success stories that, we have from maybe the recent past that where, where somebody has kind of left an organization landed somewhere else and um, it's made a big difference. So there are two that, that jump out two groupings. Um, One is leaving a bad organization. Mm -hmm. So that would be Joe Musgrove, Garrett Cole are are ones that we can quickly think of uh, all of a sudden going to these new scenarios and then being excellent out of the gate, right? Saying, bringing them into an organization or leaving one that really prevented them. Dylan Bundy going to Los Angeles or something. Oh, finally you can throw a slider. And what do you know? He did well in that short sample before 2021. (laughs) Right. Um, The other side of it is going into an excellent organization. Uh, So I think the most recent example is Kevin Gaussman going to San Francisco. Um, Now I'm still, I've been saying a lot, like, I don't know how much I think they are excellent. I think it's just a smallish sample of guys, but the, but whatever. Then there's Alex Wood, who also came in and increased his velocity like Gaussman did. Descafino was still already good. He just had a bad 2020, so I'm not totally convinced on that one. I but I but there's those examples too. It just and for the most part, I don't really put a ton of weight on guys shifting organizations um, inherently. I I don't love love really relying it's like oh no he's on this team now he's going to work with this pitching coach and everything's going to be great i don't know uh that's right. a really hard weight to put on and i think we have so much data so many different narratives and threads to, to pull on that that's not the one that i'm going to go after um there's also uh colton and the wolf had the whole thing um glenn colton rick wolf about not getting guys after signing large contracts in the first year and there is something to be said about that. I uh, so it makes me now like, oh no, why am I in on Robbie Ray and Kevin Gaussman? Um, but <laughs> I, but there is I, I I in a deal breaker or a tiebreaker situation, I will lean on that too because I think there is something to be said about guys going a little bit, you know, pushing themselves a little bit, and then finally being able to relax just a little bit in that first. Yeah, year. yeah. Um, so like the focus is a little bit like ah, whatever. I'm set for eight years or something. I get that mentally. Um, but for the most part, when it goes, when it comes to like changing organizations, okay, is it the Cardinals with their amazing defense? It, is he right. going to cores? Is he going to a bad situation? You know, that's really it. Um, otherwise, I just kind of expect them to be mostly the same. And the last thing I will say is there are situations where we see a tangible change in approach that could happen. Like I mentioned with Dylan Bundy, or we we talked about with Joe Musgrove. Um and that gets me excited. Just get them out of that situation. So like Zach Wheeler for me, it was about getting him away from Wilson Ramos catching and the philosophies of the, the Mets where they were putting their glove up YM lock, right? Like middle yeah. height. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? That's not where you want to put this. 
um, and then emphasizing the slider more. And that's what happened in 2021 for Zach Wheeler, right? So there's stuff like that that will certainly get me to think a little bit more about it. Alexander, you look like you want to jump in here. Yeah, I do. I So this is like a really particular question. And this is something that's been on my mind a lot because of like the Rodon sort of like almost institutional transfer in my mind between the White Sox and the Giants. Mm. Um, Ethan Katz is someone I feel like made such a tangible and immediate difference in the outcomes of a whole lot of um, reclamation projects um, that just happened to all be on the roster because it seems like the previous uh, mentality or approach or just lack of knowing how to keep shoulders separate or like attached to the rest of the body uh, had kind of just created a lot of them. <laughs> and sure. um, I, and maybe over just like ascribing things because i can but like i have this sort of like weirdly developed mutual trust that the both the giants and you know ethan katz who came from the giants to the white Sox can kind of do smart things for people who have a little bit different risk profile um so i'm, I'm curious does that kind of like overlapping more success stories like mean anything to you in any sort of meaningful way it's hard because i mean you'll you'll appreciate this it's all a very small sample of success stories and failures and then things change and then we don't really ever get to a point where we can say oh this is good this we got this you know for everything right. we've been saying about the astros um i mean there's there's some success and there is like you know okay luis garcia did really well but then second half or the end of the season fell off a bit and the slider wasn't there and the cutter was the only good thing and so on and so forth. And they threw a slider to Jorge Soler. We all know how that went. Um, <laughs> and it's not always a success, right? Uh, and it's uh, in some ways I want to give more credit to the player than I do the coaching. And I don't really know when to, um, you know, when to give full credit to a coach or not. Um, so when it's really apparent is when I'll actually say things, but I, but right. It's, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Do you think it's, and I'm, this is just coming to the top of my head, so tell me if I'm being silly here. Um, do you think maybe it's more of a tale of a coach or an um, the institutional approach or the organizational approach of a team holding somebody back rather than being able to fix them? Yeah, sometimes that's the issue, right? Uh, and that's, you know, right, there's the positive side and then there's the negative sides too. Right. I mean, as with everything in this world, we have to be nuanced. Um, yeah. And uh, in a, in a uh, vacuum, which is a terrible phrase, but uh, in a vacuum, don't worry about it. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, if you're getting overwhelmed by this, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, it, other there's so many factors that can affect how well or poorly a pitcher performs in a year. And uh, who knows how much the effect the team actually has. One of the the narratives that I see a lot when players uh, switch, and maybe more so with hitters, um, but I think also with pitchers, is that people very quickly go to, okay, especially if it's a, a place like Cincinnati or Colorado, they immediately jump to these home road splits, and that's going to tell the story. And it drives me a little nuts, only because, so this came up with like Jesse Winker. Uh, so hitter, obviously. Oh, yeah, but right. The proof of concept, right? That now he's going to a place and and is it's not uh what what was it that uh, Casey Bubba calls uh, Cincinnati a uh, Grand American Small Park yeah there you go it's so it's so awesome. wonderful I love it um 
and and so he's leaving a, a hitter's park, right? And and so you're going to expect that that's going to have an impact. But to jump immediately to the road splits, I don't think is fair because there's so many more variables that go into playing on the road. Oh yeah. Um, whether that's comfort, comfort, uh, where you're staying, uh, the travel itself, being away from family, not being used to the nuance of the ballpark, the yeah. home crowd, all of these factors, Could right? There's so many more. variables. Yes. So. How how can we maybe dissect that narrative and find what makes more sense? What's the most likely outcome? It's it, maybe it's not going to. So for Winker, it's not going to be that he's as prolific a hitter. Maybe, uh, maybe it's going to switch a little bit. He's going to wind up getting more uh, singles or doubles out of it as opposed to home runs. I've got the answer for you. Right, I've like, got it. Yeah, that's what I'm um, looking remember, for. So I'll stop with the premise and, and we'll just get right to the cut uh, right to the chase here. In Arizona, um, I, I got to say, I, I'm incredibly lucky being able to go to Arizona, first pitch Arizona and be able to, to meet and hang out with all these great people in the industry. And one person I felt so lucky over the years to actually, you know, to get to hang out with and, and, and bond with is Derek Cardi, a brilliant mind, of course, in it. And I was fortunate to be on a panel with him about streaming pitchers because there's two different guys here. We got Derek Cardi, who's got the bad X, which is like the greatest thing ever. And you got this schlub over here uh, <laughs> yeah. who's just like, I'm going by feel every single day. Um, what do I know? And uh, so we're both talking about this stuff. And, and I kind of I sat there and I said to Cardi, like, Cardi, tell me right now. I, I absolutely hate home road splits and they're just noise. And he's like, yes. Home road splits are dumb. And I said to him right there, I said, Cardi, can you do me a huge favor while we're live on this panel? Can you tweet out that home road splits are dumb? And he did that. <laughs> and it made me so happy. Now, the point he wanted to make um, after, which is very important, is that park factors are not dumb. But the right. innately being on the road versus at home is stupid. That's just random grouping. Uh, if you're taking 10 starts, this guy through, he threw five here, five there, just happened to be that they're going to be different. It's very rare for it to actually just be even in every single performance. And it drives right. me nuts. But we got to acknowledge that Jesse Winker pitched in that, uh, sorry, hit in that park. I always say pitch. It's weird for me to say hit. That's okay. He hit in that park. <laughs> and that will help him. It will not help him having half his games in Safeco. Um, it's right. not about the home road splits. It's about the home field park factor. But um, even like his previous performance in Safeco as a visiting player, I, I don't know. Again, maybe I get mean, small sample sizes yeah. probably, but I, I, it just doesn't seem pitching? like it's the same thing. What Right. <laughs> what was the weather like? What yeah. did the plane get in late? Right. I was mean, his, was his wife there? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what? The, the fun part of that is also like the Mariners have always had like a ton of lefties. So Winker would have just probably been rather trash, relatively speaking, if he yeah. actually had any at bats. Yeah. I know Winker is a guy that Cardi in particular was like really vocal on like the, how the changes in the projections worked. And I actually checked out how things changed for him in uh, particularly league. Cause he, he got traded and the same day he got traded in this particular league. So I was interested to see what happened to his value. He was a guy that in this particular format, uh, because he was projected at this point to like have uh, an OBP that was like 380 and he was like looking at 33 home runs and like 90, 90, like that is a guy that I drafted in a couple places in the past couple weeks thinking he was like a top 50 player almost. Right. And then 
stinks shot down. He lost like 15 runs in RBI each and like seven home runs and like 10 points off his OBP and batting average. Yeah, 15 points off his batting average. And he was like, he went from like a $30 player in this league to 13. And that's just insane. Now, I, I think mm-hmm. maybe the first time I'd run it, it was, I think I'd done some inflation because of age and the fact he's a hitter, not a pitcher, but like still, I I think he moved from somewhere in the range of 23 to $25 projection to a $13 projection. That's like the moving from being a guy that is being severely undervalued at pick like 110 to a guy that is like a hard avoid and probably deserves to fall around to 130 or so at least. And, um, you know, that's based off of some specific information that's really easily publicly successful. We know what the park factors for home runs in particular look like for uh, Cincinnati. And we know what they look like for uh, Seattle. And we're talking like a 20% better than average to like a 10% worse than average. Like that's based off of a huge, huge number of like home runs that have been hit in these parks. On the other hand, you have like the misadventuring of trying to pick out the difference between like, I remember, um, Andrew Perpetua and I were taking some very different approaches to figuring out what would happen to home runs for pitchers. And I was like, Hey, I'm just gonna go look at all of John means home runs. And he ended up doing the same thing with like a little bit better camera work. And I was like, yeah, As I Perpetua think he would have lost six. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we're talking about just so, so few like runs. Like, right. And not you know, to mention, get- it's not, you know, the idea that means is all of a sudden going to allow exactly the same pitches in the same context, the same places. It's like that's or the, right. yeah they're not going to change their approach to fit their new surroundings right right, right. Like all of these things right yeah they're they're yep. all factors just just let so, it just let it go guys let it take it in and just push <laughs> it just push it out you know just push it out I I think the big difference there is like if you're like oh yeah these six home runs wouldn't have been out that's one thing but on the other hand if you're like yeah our math says that based off of all of the math all of the all the math god um all of the <laughs> home runs that have left the park or that haven't we think that righty pole extreme guys might lose as much as 40% of their home runs like that's based of a, a very different way of looking at things mm. and they can feel the same at some point but it's just like some it's it's the mountain of baseballs versus six um yeah, i think that's right, also right. like I, I, that also got me thinking it's like you know what the difference between like a three three ERA and a four ERA is in it's terms like, of earned runs over the coming course like, of the season? What like five eight or something? It's insane. So, um, for example, I pulled this up earlier for Evaldi. You know, it's he about, had his yeah. three seven five over uh, what is it? I'll get you the exact number. Wait, what his was the ERA? Five over one eight two. Yes, came on seventy six earned runs. 76 so, uh, okay that actually divides super evenly and it's really nice he would have had a 3-5 era then i if i'm doing my math right um if he had how am i doing his track there oh yeah, it's like God. 10 I, or my, something right yeah like it's no it's if five even. earned runs we get him to a 3-5 that's so it. it's like one yeah, home it's, run or, you know, i mean obviously a one home runs five earned runs that's funny nick or but one uh bad two, yeah. day right yeah right i mean you could you could really go out there and have a stinker on a on a given day, and that is having this huge effect. That's what anytime we're talking about averages, right? They're they're pulled in in directions by outliers, and that's one of the reasons that they can lie to you. I think what this does a good job informing me whenever I get into those weird weeds is then when you start moving one guy's protection from one park to another and seeing how that affects the way that we draft them. If you're like in the really like 
script e projection calculator e mindset right, right. is that the margins between one projection or another are so small that the perceived value between them gets really exaggerated way yeah. beyond what we can actually like feel good about this is this Sean is why Nile looks like a 25 dollar player based off of a 3.8 era projection he's probably going to be somewhere a 3.8 era if he's in oakland but he's got like no ceiling better than that right well that's the thing is i think this gets a loss a lot and i i've been trying to i had there was one day i'm ranting in my kitchen and i have it perfectly articulated i'm like i've got it and i haven't been able to do it since <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it's this idea always that... record yourself just walk around recording oh, no, all no. of your thoughts all the time there aren't enough terabytes for it um <laughs> but i no, th th there's an idea if you if you have a mentality of grouping starters effectively i'm going to try and fail probably as i replicate this where instead of trying to debate okay lance lynn or lucas giolito you know you just kind of group them together enough and i mean in a tier of understanding hey, this is a guy that's not going to fail me and has the ability to give me an SP1 season or something, right? Has like, you know, if, if it won't be crazy if I told you at the end of the year that Lucas Giolito, oh, he's number five or something because he just had a really good year. He didn't, you know, he just, he pitched to a three array and was like, this was great, um, right? And because then- he took off that one day in Boston. Yeah, right? No, because <laughs> yeah, he, he the 11.30 start time uh, because of the Boston Marathon. I- uh, Right, and that actually started a whole four-week spur for him, I remember. And then everything else was incredible for Lucas Giolito. But what I'm getting at is that actually extends off past the teens. You know, there are a lot of guys in the 20s that, hey, if, I don't know, if Charlie Morton isn't unhealthy, like, he's great. You know, it's fine. You could even be see a world where Shane McClanahan throws like a 2-7 or something. I'm not saying he's going to. But my point is, there. Are, once you start thinking of players in the scope of their capabilities and like what actually is the realm of possibility at the top end, um, right? And then, then you have the other ones. I like, guess yeah, sure. There's always kind of some guys have a larger floor or something. Sure, fine, fine. But then, as you keep going in your draft, eventually you get to a point where that possibility is gone, and that is, you know, you are not drafting anybody with any expectation of seriously pushing the needle. And that yeah. is where I start saying, I don't care about those guys. Like, I don't, I don't want to draft that. Um, because my whole philosophy, as you guys know, is to craft in season, the best pitching staff in the league. And I think you can, right. if you pay attention and if you, you know, if you try to do it, all you need to do, just read the SP roundup. I gotcha. So it, it, I, because I've done that for, for eight years, I've done the SP round. Right. I've been able to witness this. Um, yep. And that's my mentality a lot. And why I'm able to feel it out because yeah, as you're saying, Chase, like trying to split hairs, but Oh, he's projected for a three, six. And this guy's projected for a three, five, two. It's like, what? Like we have no yeah, idea. So this guy's better. Right, yeah, right, 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 right. No, right. no you, you got to grasp, like, are they all going to be around the same abilities of what they can soar to be? And are they going to be pitching five days, you know, every five days or so? And like, great. You know, that's all you need to do. And this is why I was in on Sandy Alcantara and Zach Wheeler last year is yeah. because they were able to do this in such a great position of throwing a ton of innings where they all they had the realm of possibility of being an SP one. But we never right. I couldn't say that. I couldn't say like, I think Sandy Alcantara is going to be an SP one. I don't. I didn't. But every way we talked about them were in this way of, oh, he's was destined a non zero to be, chance. Yeah, he's destined to be an SP three or four. And that's just no, no, that's not true. You know, like there is that opportunity for him to do that.
but I can't talk I wonder, about that, right? Can, maybe Alexander, do you uh, and Ornick <laughs> know the answer to this? When those projections are made, do we have any idea what the the confidence intervals are on those projections? Sometimes we do have variability things assigned. I know ATC does that a bit, mm-hmm. um, but even so, that's still like not enough information to me. And this Dakota is why does I'm hooked that as well. It's why I'm hooked to that. just understanding what yeah. they throw. If you know what they have, yeah, right. there you go. and you know what they, you know, you know what's a good fastball, you know what a good slider is, then just look at this and see, like, okay, for him to be an SP one, something needs to change and improve or so, and like, how far away is that? Um, and that's how I work. That is my whole thing, and I've gotten into many arguments with people being like, he is this and he is that. I'm like, I don't know what he is. But I'm gonna t- yeah, I'm gonna yeah, yeah. lean more on that ceiling because I think I that's just more important. I wonder if there's like a space for for a, a, a like a player like a, on a player page, let's say. And again, you guys tell me if I'm nuts. I'm I'm coming up with this on the fly, where we have the projection as kind of like the middle of the graph, and then the range of outcomes at different interval uh, confidence right. intervals. So that does exist. Yeah, uh, that, that uh, totally only exists, because. But like, then you can you see. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't quite. It. it doesn't quite um achieve what i want to achieve though sure um i'm, I'm because, just curious like if, if you were to see that though yeah. and you're trying to compare two players it might give you a better idea of the risk or the the possible range of outcomes that a player might have yeah, i mean i don't know the hard part it's, is putting a percentage on if of course you know and that's that's the the, the thing that i want to highlight more is like what are the ifs and then trying to figure out how to establish like hey this is an if, and this is an, a possible if, or this is like a silly if. Like, I'm not just going to tell you, oh, Dylan Cease is going to have great curveball command this year. Like, that's an if that, like, guys, like, no. no, Yeah, remains I, I to be seen. There are some ifs, and, and I think this is a weird thing that, I, and again, just I love to stare at player pages. And, th- and this time, I, one of the things I kind of found um, is, wait, uh, relating back to, like, the second year for guys and Zach Wheeler and you claiming this great Zach Wheeler success, you know, he like was way worse last year in terms of all the things that I would care about. And I didn't understand <laughs> why you were possibly in. So like, let's look at his Mets years really quickly. Cause I just think this is a great encapsulation yeah, of a dude moves. And I have no idea how that's going to change things. He was like basically somewhere between 23 and 23% strikeout rate. Basically oh yeah. Right. Right. There. Yep. Like he was who he was. And the walk rates were like, close to nine in a lot of these years like they, they ticked down the last year but like it wasn't great he goes to philly in the short season he has an 18.4 percent walk rate and that is absolutely off my board strikeout rate personally oh yeah, yeah you Notably, said walk rate okay yeah you're talking strikeout, no, strikeout rate. rate no okay, yeah yeah 18 yeah. like, strikeout rate. that sounds like a strikeout rate okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i, I want to note here I'll, another thing though he'd been like a 20 percent slider guy he went down to 15, 16 yeah, percent in the short season. It drove me and nuts. Twenty five percent last year. It drove me. I don't me crazy. know how you can claim that he was going to break out, and I still don't oh, no, get no. it. Okay, I so, don't understand how you saw this coming at all. So I didn't. I'm not. This is a very important <laughs> distinction. I didn't claim he was going to, but the the possibility was still very much there, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Is yep. you know I I've been I've been shouting for Wheeler to throw more sliders for ages, um, and the his fastball. I mean, oh, swing on the sinker was ages. Also, yeah, that was really cool to have too. Um, well, I mean, his four seamer went up a point five. The I don't, I don't actually see the velo jump as much. Um, but I might have been on the slider or something like that. Um, he had a I'm slider from like early Mets days. 
Uh, okay. 2019, oh, I it got was you. like yeah, the same 20... as 2020. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, but more of the approach of Zach Wheeler speaks to just being efficient. Um, and what I mean by that is amazingly well-commanded, high-velocity heaters. If you can do that well, which is what is Zach Wheeler's bread and butter, uh, you are giving yourself a, a foundation that all you need is a tweak in a breaking ball somewhere and strikeouts galore. It's like it's there for you. And that's exactly what happened to Sandy Alcantara in the second half last year. Like he was he's, for the seasons at 24 percent. And everyone's like, I don't know if I trust Sandy Alcantara and his lowish CSW <laughs> and low strikeout rate. But then you see like the breakout happened when he went up to a 31 percent slider usage instead of a changeup. Right. He flipped those over. And then all of a sudden he had a 30% strikeout rate in the last two months of the year. And that's, that's what it is. So having like there's steps you need to achieve to be able to break out. And for those guys, it was just extra usage left on a breaking ball or maybe getting a little bit more feel and developing that, which is of course it always an if, but that's what we're talking about. How, how strong are those ifs? What are the, the major gaps for it? And having such a good, fastball it's well commanded and hard to hit i mean i, I will say i understand 2020 zach wheeler 32 percent hard contact on the four seamer 2019 it was 20 percent in the larger sample um and it was down to 18.5 percent in 2021 i uh, sinker also that, fell dramatically 2020, too 2020 who knows what guys right. approaches were where they're i remember, I remember laughing that, i remember right? someone asked like aren't you worried about the strikeout i was like i smack out strikeouts whatever that's not how you say the thing <laughs> but i was like yeah, that's a silly season you know I, a lot of things were weird in 2020 um and i was sure. like no give me a full season with real muto and and the phillies and all of that and voila yeah. we got it yeah you, yeah you know it's really interesting you say strikeouts or a, a fastball that does good things and the ability to maybe Brandon throw Woodruff, some more. I, I, what I'm thinking though, is like, as I stare at this page though, we've not touched because we've been having too much fun of all the guys who could or might be. Yeah. You're talking around. about Chris Bassett now, aren't you? I am talking about Chris Bassett. Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious though. Like he's the guy I want to talk about because yeah. you know, it's fun and, he's old but he's new and it's <laughs> but like i'm curious though like which guys who have had even just whispers around moving around do you have any uh inclination to beg a new pitching coach to do some fun things with right so chris bassett to me doesn't have the same foundation of someone like wheeler or alcantara where it's 92 93 on the fastball and because yeah, of that yeah. the o swing isn't nearly as high uh 24 o swing on the sinker as opposed to the 47% or whatever, something stupid that it is with Wheeler, upper 30s for Alcantara. And it makes perfect sense. You can't tell that this thing is going to be off the plate when it's so, so hard. Well, it's a little bit easier to understand the trajectory at 92, 93. Still really hard. It's like, you know, sit in a box and take 92, 93 or whatever, and then take 98. Like, it's, yeah, it's going to be different, but like, it's still stupid hard to hit. Um, sure. And with Bassett, I don't know if I see the same um, possibility in the secondaries that, you know, that we saw from um, both Alcantara and Wheeler. Uh, they've, it's more of a cutter uh, when it comes to uh, the slider for, for Bassett change of slider curveball are all like maybe the slider. I mean, fast was mentioned that last year, like, no, he started to use the slide a little bit better. And maybe that is a thing. Maybe, you know, at 10% usage last year, maybe that does turn to 20%. And maybe I'm being really stupid about this where he was using that more as a strikeout pitch. And, 
if that goes up, which it could in New York, uh, it's just a question of how good the slider and, and sorry, the, the sinker and four seamer are. Four seamer is a really good whip pitch, by the way, 15 to 16% swing strike rates on it. I'm actually finding myself like more in on Bassett than I ever was before. Um, oh, these yeah. days. I, yeah. I had him like a 43 or something. I currently have him, I think, like 35. Something like that. It feels right. It feels really um, right to me. I know I feel so bad that I haven't updated my rank since February eighth, but it just the timing is weird because I'm. It's fine. I'm doing it in now, a week. There's, and a, half a, there's a lot more dust to settle anyway, right? Hey, you, you go do a whole revamping and then ten more things exactly. are going to change. So yeah, I will yeah. say, if you want to hear my stuff on the top 100 update, I put out a full 25 minute plus pitch podcast for PL Plus users. So go check that out. And hey, you support Become a this PL wonderful Plus company. member. Absolutely. Yeah. Go and do that. So there's one more segment I want to get to. Uh, we might run a little long on this one. Why get out uh, of here? But <laughs> um, the the pass fail segment. This is relatively recent news. This is we're recording Wednesday, so you're hearing this on Friday. It's it's not quite as recent for you. But uh, Chris Sale, uh, not some some not so great information. So it's a little bit of a stretch to put in our pass fail segment. But uh, I want to get your your quick feedback on. Uh, Chris Sale in 2022, and then use that as like a, a springboard for how do you rank and evaluate pitchers with known injuries or coming off of uh, injured seasons? Okay, so this is this is like the toughest thing that I do. Um, my least favorite part of preseason discussion is trying to project innings pitched. It sucks. Yeah. It just it just there's no winning with this. Um, the thing I, I want to listen to the most, uh, is everyone that says, Hey, just don't draft a starter that has any sort of injury question, like at all, just, just knock them out completely and you'll be happier. And I feel like every single spring, I say that to myself, like next year, Nick, you're going to do it. But then I see Clevenger and Severino come back. And when I talk about SP one possibilities, considering how late they are going, there are a few other guys that can do that. So fine. I will do it at that point. Now Which range of outcomes, right? Is what kind of what you're talking well, about. Exactly. Before. Right. But there's a difference of doing that around pick 200 and doing it around pick 70 or so. Right. Um, so I've been kind of um, dismissing Jack Flaherty's and all of a sudden it's still a problem, even though he was pitching and wasn't. So I'm off that boat. Um, I'm not off of the Gallon and Wheeler ones because they've they pitched. And it was just kind of like, yeah, all right. I was just a little sore starting up again. There are different degrees of it. Chris Sale, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I'm now he's he, well, was it's a rib fracture, right? Uh, it's a stress fracture in his rib cage. Okay. The I'm number good. of words I'll, there almost makes it sound worse. Yeah, right. I yeah. uh, it's actually it sounds like my first album. Um, rib cage <laughs> stress <laughs> fracture. Uh, but I with with which sale, one's the band name and which one's the album name? Oh, that's a I would definitely be stress fracture. There yeah, we go. Okay. I, that's totally me. Um, Debut album Ribcage. <laughs> uh, and it's me like holding bones. Um, <laughs> but I no for Chris Sale, I was actually already dropping him in my rankings a little bit because I find myself not too enthused about what we saw over those nine starts. Velocity was still not back. The changeup got hit a lot harder than was elevated more often than it usually is. The slider wasn't so overwhelming. It just felt like worse Chris Sale. And mm-hmm. I don't like that it's worse Chris Sale. 
So he also like throws stuff this. that gets hurt more by bad velo, right? I know that some pitches mm-hmm. aren't hurt as bad, but I, I think I've seen some stuff come out recently on this. Oh, like, that's interesting. I imagine, yeah, um, I I think that I think that what it was is that um, I think it was Rudy Gamble who basically said, "Hey y'all, I have an idea. If someone wants to just oh, do the work, velocity vulnerability index. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. The I, main we'll, the main I'm thing sure about we'll that." The main thing about that that Carlos McConnell mentioned um, was something that is ringing in my head still from Eno being like, oh, yeah, fastballs in the 91 to 94 mile per hour range are all the same. And they're all that's bad. That's the bad range. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once you get to 95 is when it matters. Right. Mm. So like Wheeler, you know, and it's always very fascinating. I, I fall to this a lot. I fall prey to this where if I just have a standard for a pitcher. Hey, you're you throw 91. Now you throw 92. Oh my God, he's throwing a tick harder, you know, and I get excited about that. And sometimes we do see like Bumgarner going from 90 to 92 was a huge difference last year. Um, And in, in many ways for me, and maybe it is the right thing. I don't know is look, this guy is a major leaguer with all Mm -hmm. of this. He has hit the standard of being a good enough pitcher to deserve this. And now he's getting better. Right. And, I think a lot of those models are around this whole, like what is the average thing and the average thing does this. So that means that like the slightly below average of that is bad. But when you think about it with, as a pitcher, like we talk about Sean Mania, he was throwing 90 for a while and then he was throwing 92 and had a lot of success and we can correlate when he did well versus not well, but that's inside that 91 to 94 range. Right. Right. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about it, and you know, I, I part Velocity of me thinks it's just the a only trap. factor, though, right? Oh, absolutely like, not. Like but it does and it, all that. It stuff. does improve a lot of things, and generally, when you see more velocity, sure. you generally do see more ride or spin along the way too, because right. they're just throwing harder. But if, let's say you you not only increased two ticks from ninety to ninety two, but you also increased your spin rate at the same time, right? That it might, yeah. Well, yeah. How's those two things spin, together, right? right? Uh, I've yeah, been taught yeah, yeah. this. That's not now. Uh, I got I got a, a thrashing from fast. Like Nick, it's not about spin. <laughs> it's about active spin. Okay, so active spin. We don't want to yeah. upset. If it's uh, good active spin, then like everything's good. The actual. I'm spin just saying, not, it, yeah. whether I, that's I, the actual thing or not, maybe maybe it's not just the one <laughs> thing that's changed. It's that has changed in combination with something else that just makes it harder to see, or it's be- it's tunneled better. Or mm. whatever the case may be, that makes I it mean, more deceptive, oh. and you're adding the two ticks right. rather than it's just this. This yeah, is the exact good same point. pitch that's two miles an hour faster. Yeah, it could be that. Let's even play the fast angle. Maybe you just are more confident in it because you know you've got a little bit more velo on it, or maybe Look, you I'm just command you, man, it better man, because Alex like it's used to what you're throwing rather than being weaker than what. And you're that's throwing. what the Vargas rule is, guys. It's confidence in the zone, feeling good, like in the zone mentally, not actually in the heart of the zone. That's like. The opposite yeah. of Vargas rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, in many ways, I could define a Vargas rule by just being good at avoiding mistakes in the middle of the plate. Mm-hmm. Like mm. that that's just at the heart of what is going on, is not being in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um okay. Before we get you out of here, I have an intrusive thought that I have to throw at oh, you. Wow. Which is based oh, off of Brace yourself. Kind of like a last is coming, Nick. Okay. <laughs> Here's how this goes, and just tell me to stop talking whenever you want. Luis Castillo, Dodgers sweeper. Could it work? 
Dodger sweeper, as in like a sweepstakes? Like no, a... the sweeper slider that they keep teaching everyone to throw. Oh, wow. Um, probably not. Okay. I, don't uh, know I mean, the way I say that, no, here's the thing. The, the, that was a I huge like... buildup to. <laughs> oh, I was like, Dodger we gotta sweeper. Have, we, we need a different payoff here. Um, Make this. Look, also, I'll put it this way. the uh, Luis Castillo has tried to find a breaking ball for like six years. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marlins tried to teach him, uh, move him to a curveball. I remember suggesting it in one roundup or something, being like, huh, like based on like velocity bands and stuff, I would actually think he can go like the Jovan Santana approach or something. Um, and then someone was commenting, commented to like, oh, yeah, Miami actually was trying to do that. And he was like, nah, I can't do this. Um, and then he goes to Cincinnati and they're like, yeah, we want the change up more than the slider that you're working on. Um, and they've tried like multiple things with that slider. And I think he just kind of is what he is right now. Mm. I mean, this is mostly, again, me just being like, I want to put together all of the ridiculous things here. Today. Yeah, right. And, you know, say some dumb things for con- no, I don't want to. No, say it's not dumb content. whatsoever. Uh, but, you I know, mean- you bring up guys who throw hard and maybe you're a tweak away because they have something i i don't know if i think it's his release that messes man. them up yeah I think that's, it's his that's, that's the one missing thing um but it's it's weird i mean again it goes back to the humanity of the game that makes me so happy is like all of these guys have different skills they're good at certain things you know you can't just take one thing from one person and give it to the next sometimes that works sometimes like you know you hear like oh this is how i throw my slider or something and it works for this guy it doesn't work for that guy but Everyone is skilled at different things and they have different feel for all of it. And it makes this whole game so, so well, fun to right. watch. I, I like, okay, I'm, I'm going to relate this to something that seems unrelatable for, or unrelated, I should say. I believe second, in you. But I, I like to play golf. But what I do is really not super golfing per se. But I'll go out there and I am the same person and I'll put a swing on a ball and it'll be ideal. It'll be exactly what I was trying to do and try and execute. And the next time I'm in that situation, I am the same person and it does not go the same way. Now I'm certainly not a professional golfer, but I also have to imagine that at that level, you're not talking about huge swings between uh, peak performance and off peak performance. Right. So the idea that somebody like Luis Castillo can be amazing and also maybe not quite. So doesn't seem all that shocking when you think about him as a person throwing a baseball and not a, a machine who's doing the exact same thing every single time. It just feels to me like it's he's probably so close to doing it the same way, but the margins are are like razor thin at, at that level. You you just you I, yes. can't get away with any kind of a mistake. I, I implore everybody listening to just sit down and like chart a game, just one game, just watch it and just realize how many mistakes are thrown and how mm-hmm. often like yeah, a middling pitcher that you're thinking of just throws a bad one, you know, and it happens a lot. Then you go and watch like prime Kershaw and it just never happens, you know, and that's why he yells because it's so rare. I, <laughs> uh, when Kershaw makes those mistakes, cause it's just like, that's just not what I do. I'm not, I'm yeah. not that guy. That's why he had a one seventy or right or whatever it was. It wasn't because his stuff was the filthiest of anyone. It was really filthy, but it's just he did the same things every single time. Super repeatable. And yeah. it's insane how much of a skill set that was for him. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our 50th episode. Alexander, we did it. Round of applause, sound effect, insert Woo! here. Uh, 
Nick, thank you so much for being a part of this, uh, for putting us together in the first place, for uh, having the idea to put a, a network together, for taking a chance on people like me who had never done anything like this before. Killing and for joining it. us tonight and talking pitching. Uh, it's it's so much fun. Oh, man. We're all, I said it before, but we're all so lucky that you guys have done 50 episodes now. Um, you're doing amazing work with this. I, I'm touched to be a part of it in any way. Uh, I shouldn't get any credit. Uh, seriously, all I did was everyone's like, oh, we want to do podcasts. Like, okay, okay, okay. You two <laughs> go and do it over here. Like, everyone's, oh my God, Nick did all of this. It was stuff. more like, just yes, to get us to me. leave you alone so you could focus on. Yeah, on, uh... yeah right. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was me giving you guys a video game. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, really, this is an awesome podcast, seriously. Um, and, uh, thank you for so much for bringing me on. These were fun conversations. I know we didn't even like, touch on half of this and no, that's we so always fine with me right that's, like that's, it, it's that's just it's just about the fun come talk. back there we go I, i'm down come back um before we let you go I, this is a silly silly thing because i don't think there's anybody who uh subscribes to this podcast that has no Stop idea that. where your stuff is but just remind everybody where they can find and follow you Yes, um, it is at uh, Dugout Study Hall Pod, I believe, on uh, on Twitter. Uh, leave a five star rating and review. Um, make sure you do that. Um, well deserved and well needed uh, for these guys. They should have hundreds and hundreds of stars and many reviews. If you haven't done it yet, why haven't you? Go ahead and do it right now. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, so now that. Uh, well, Nick has not told people where they can find him. Uh, Alexander, can you go ahead and remind people where they can find us and uh, once again, the podcast? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.